Father, once again, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to ask you two questions this morning. The first one is, do you ever struggle with forgiveness? Okay, we're unanimous on that one, so we've covered that, all right? That's all of us, right? The second question is, what's the statute of limitations on forgiving people? And I don't mean time, but recurrence. This is really Peter's question. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive this person who keeps sinning against me? We have no idea what triggers Peter's question. Earlier in chapter 18, uh, Matthew tells us the disciples get into it again about who's greatest in the kingdom. Maybe it has something to do with that. We don't really know, but I'm convinced these kinds of questions don't come out of nowhere. Something is happening in Peter, and he's frustrated, and he's tired of forgiving, and he wants out. And of course, like all of us, Peter wants a rule. Seven times? I mean, that's a lot. If somebody keeps doing the same thing against you and you forgive them seven times, at some point you say, okay, time out. I think that's enough. I think I'm done. We want some kind of rule that says, okay, God, if I do this much, then I'm good and I don't have to think about it or worry about it anymore after that. I mean, I'm looking for that sometimes. And Jesus says to Peter, not seven times, but depending on the translation, the NIV says 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven times. But the point is, Jesus, using hyperbole, says, stop counting. It's because what we want to do is say, okay, even if it's 77 times, we go home with our blackboard and we start marking off every time we forgive people. We get to 76 and we say to them, you got one more shot. That's it. And I think Jesus is saying, without limitations. Maybe he's saying to to Peter and to us, all right, look, every time I forgive you, you forgive somebody else. Or maybe like one writer says, maybe what Jesus is trying to do is to instill into Peter and to us that forgiveness becomes second nature. That it's just who we are and what we do. At the very least, Jesus is saying, you can never stop forgiving. Now, I would think that Jesus has made his point. And Peter probably is thinking, okay, Jesus, I get it. But Jesus doesn't think he's made his point. And he says to Peter and the guys, all the other disciples, all right, guys, let me tell you a story. I suspect when the disciples heard those words, let me tell you a story, they're like, oh, boy, he's coming at us again. Because most of the stories are to confront. And so he says, let me tell you a story. He tells them the story about a king and a servant. And my question is, If you're talking about forgiveness, why tell a story about money? I would think he might tell a story about 
uh, a man who had a neighbor who gossiped about him and, and turned everybody in the neighborhood against him. Or maybe a, a story about a woman whose only son is, is injured by the, re- the recklessness and the neglect of, of another person. But he doesn't. He tells a story about money. And I think the reason for that is because it reminds us of how intimately connected money and forgiveness is. Or maybe a better way to say that is how intimately connected forgiveness and generosity is. How closely connected those things are. I have have rarely, if ever, come across someone who is stingy with their money, but generous with their forgiveness, and vice versa. There is something about the connectedness of what we do with our money and how we handle that, and what we do about forgiveness and how we handle that. I think we might even be able to say that what we're doing with our money, which is very concrete, is an indicator of what we're doing with our forgiveness that can become very abstract. Now, in this story, we have a, we have a servant who I think feels like he's got a pretty good handle on the king. And I think he feels like he can manipulate the king to get whatever he wants. I can almost hear him going home to his wife and saying, you know, I can play that guy like a fiddle. All I have to do is ask and I get whatever I want. You know, he's, he's controlling the king. He's gaming the system. He's got it figured out. And he's, and he's even saying, you know, I've gotten rumors that maybe the king's going to come back on me. All I have to do is go ask, his, ask him to, to let me off the hook, and he will. And the king does. One writer says that one of the reasons the, that this servant attacks the other servant who owes him money is because his goal is to pay back the king. He's got it in his mind, despite the fact that he has borrowed millions of dollars from the king, and that this guy is going to repay him maybe a few hundred dollars. To think that that would help him to pay back that is ludicrous. And if the king, who represents God, you can almost hear God laughing and saying, really, you think you're going to pay me back with the pittance that you have? There's no way you're ever going to pay me back. So if you want to pay me back, here's what you need to do. Forgive. If you want to pay back the debt that you owe me, forgive the debt that others owe you. And there again, you see that connectedness between generosity and money. I think you can see that too in you know, one of the ways in which we try to avoid forgiveness is to not put ourselves in a position where we need to forgive. I think, that, I think this servant not only is upset trying to get the money back from the other guy, but I think he regrets ever loaning the guy money to begin with because the minute he loaned him money, he made himself vulnerable if the guy didn't pay it back. There is something about generosity that puts us in a position to have to be willing to forgive. 
Whether we're talking about generosity with money or generosity with our time or generosity with our hearts. As soon as we extend ourselves to another person in any way, the potential for needing to forgive becomes a reality. And the only way around that is to simply decide we're not going to connect with other people. We're not going to be generous toward other people. We're going to keep what we have. We're going to hoard what we have. We're going to protect what we have. And that's not just our money and our possessions and even our time. It's our hearts. The only way that we can think of to avoid being hurt and therefore needing to forgive is to never love to never be in relationship with people. But no one can exist in this world without relationships. We were made for relationships. So as much as we try to avoid it, we can't. And so we are continually being confronted with the potential and the reality of forgiveness. What does it mean to forgive? It's interesting, the word that Jesus uses here to forgive is not, doesn't necessarily mean forgiveness. It's not the, the typical word for that. It means to release something. It means to let something go. It's, it's taking a birdcage, walking out on your deck, opening the, the door, and letting that bird go free. which is a a pretty good picture of forgiveness. It is letting go of our bitterness. It's letting go of the grudges we want to hold on to. It's letting go of the anger and the feelings of hatred, all the emotions, all of the the, the reality of, of what people owe us. We let that go. But it's hard to let it go. I read about a guy who was on his deathbed and um, he had had a lifelong quarrel with another man and as he was feeling like he was nearing death he was trying to settle his accounts and so he he got a hold of this guy and the guy came over to the man's house and they talked for hours and they worked out their problems and and they they came to resolution And as the man was leaving, they shook hands, and the guy lying on his deathbed said, now, just keep in mind, if I get over this illness, the old quarrel still stands. I mean, that's sort of what we want to do. We want to talk about forgiveness, but to really let it go is hard. I think that's why Jesus says that what we're asked to do is to forgive from the heart. And when I think about forgiving from the heart, that brings me back to the want to. It's not just forgiving with our words. It's forgiving with our hearts. It's wanting to forgive. And we've talked about this at different times in the past, that there is this this calling of, of a want to, to let things go. Sometimes we're at a place where we can say, Lord, help me to forgive this person. But sometimes we're not there yet. Sometimes the only thing we can pray is, Lord, help me to want to forgive this person. Sometimes we're not even there yet. 
Sometimes the only thing we can pray is, Lord, help me to want to want to forgive this person. Sometimes we're not even there yet. Sometimes it's, Lord, help me to want to want to want to forgive this person. And it can go on and on. From our hearts, there is something in us that is saying, Lord, you know where I am. You know the pain is so deep that I'm about six or eight or 20 want-tos from getting to that place that I should be. But help me to start. And the thing I love is that God says, just start where you are. That's the only thing you can pray is start where you are. But that's forgiving from our hearts is right there. It's that want to. Corey Tinboom says that forgiveness is like letting go of a bell rope. When we ring the bell here in our church, you know, we do it on Easter, we did Christmas Eve, other times during the year. It's a, it's a very heavy bell. And so to ring it, you have to really pull on that cord. And you have to pull it a number of times before the bell shifts enough that, the, that it begins to ring. But once you get the momentum of the bell going, then you don't have to keep pulling so hard. You just have to keep making sure the rope is going up and down. And you just pull that rope up and down, and it's actually pretty easy once it gets going. And then you get to the place where you want to stop the bell, and the only thing you can do is let go of the rope. But when you let go of the rope, the bell keeps ringing for a while. The momentum has to slow down. But eventually, it stops. And you and I are not called to stop the bell. We're called to let go of the rope. And there may be some time after we let go of the rope when things have to settle and we work through some things. But the starting point is letting go of the rope. That's the want to. And it's hard because we like hanging on to it. We can get used to it. It becomes comfortable. But the call of the gospel is to let go of the rope. Our struggle to let go of the rope is why this parable gets really dark at the end. When the king calls in the servant and says, you wicked servant, we're going to torture you until you can pay back everything you owe. I don't know exactly how torturing can help you pay it back, but somehow that's where it ends up. There is a connectedness to how we live our lives on earth and where it is leading us eternally. Sometimes we think, well, we can live any way we want to now, and then in eternity we'll change everything. But it doesn't work that way. We are setting ourselves up for our eternal existence by what is important to us now, by the, the priorities and the decisions we make and, and the way we live our lives now. There is a natural progression and if we don't want to let go of the rope now, if we are not interested in forgiveness now, what would make us think that in an eternal kingdom in which everything is about forgiveness, we would want forgiveness? 
But that, I think that torture starts now if we're unwilling to forgive. I read about a minister who had a funeral service for a man about 30 years old who died suddenly. Had a wife, a young child, a daughter. About a month before he died, he gave his daughter a coin collection that he had started when he was about eight years old. It really wasn't very valuable, but it was highly sentimental. And, and she cherished it. A couple of days after the funeral, they were at the, this man's mother's house. And the, da- the granddaughter mentioned to her grandmother that her father had given her this coin collection. And the grandmother sat up in her chair and she said to, this grand- to her granddaughter, I want that coin collection. She said, well, my dad gave it to me. She said, I don't care. I want that coin collection. And she was insistent and she was nasty about it. And the mother and daughter left her house in tears. The next day, this grandmother went to see her pastor. She told him the scenario and she said, what would you do if you were in my shoes? And he said, well, I'm hesitant to tell you what to do, but you asked me what I would do. I think if it were me, I would go to them and apologize. And I would say, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. It must be maybe it's the grief and the pain that we've all been going through. But I am so sorry. Of course you keep the coin collection. It, it, it's not worth our relationship breaking down over this. He said, that's what I would do. And she looked at him and said, I'll do that when hell freezes over. It has been years since that story, since that incident took place. The granddaughter has graduated high school and college, and she has not spoken to her granddaughter since the day at the house when she demanded those coins. Don't tell me that that grandmother is not a tortured soul. It ruins our relationships because it ruins us. And God is not reneging on his forgiveness. You sort of you almost get the feeling that, this, that the king calls the, the servant in and says, I forgave you, and now I'm going to unforgive you. If that were the case, and the king represents God, we would have absolutely no security about God's forgiveness. And I do not believe that is who God is. This is not about God withdrawing his forgiveness. This is about a man who is un willing to accept the forgiveness that's been offered him. God offers this, the king offers this man forgiveness. He doesn't want it. And you know that's true because the first thing is not gratitude. Thank you so much for forgiving me. The first thing he does is run to the other servant to try to get some money to pay back the king. Why is he worried about paying back the king? The debt's been canceled. It's over. He does that because he doesn't want it to be over. It's one thing to owe the king money. It's another thing to feel like he owes the king his life. He doesn't want to owe the king his life. And God offers us forgiveness, free forgiveness, full of grace, But we never experience that forgiveness unless we want it, unless we accept it. 
And there's something in us that says, but I want to control my own life. I want to control God. And if I accept this forgiveness, then now I'm in debt to him in a way that I'm uncomfortable with. And there's something in us that doesn't want to owe people. That's why it's so hard for us to receive things from people sometimes. I think we're, we're pretty good at giving away because then it gives, puts us in the position of power. We're not so good about receiving. Chuck Swindoll says one, one year, one of the prisoners in his church said to him, Chuck, I want to do a, my Christmas gift to you and your family is I want to come and wash all the windows of your house. Well, he didn't think that much about it until one day he came home and there was the guy out there washing windows. And he's thinking to himself, I can't have this guy wash my windows. He's a father, he's busy, he's got a lot of things going on in his life. I can't let him do that. So he went over and he said, hey, how's it going? He goes, great. He says, look, um, you don't need to do this. He says, no, I want to do this. He says, well, I'll tell you what, you, do, you finish the garage windows and we'll take care of all the rest of it. He goes, no, I'm going to do it. So Chuck says to him, okay, well, look, you do the first floor windows and the kids and I will do the second floor windows. He says, no, I'm going to do the first floor and the second floor. He says, well, listen, okay, I'll tell you what, you do the outside and we'll do the inside. He looked at him and says, Chuck, listen to me. I've come to wash your windows. It's my gift to you. I'm going to do, I'm going to do the first floor and the second floor. I'm going to do the inside and the outside. I'm doing them all. So just stop badgering me. And Chuck Swindoll said, I was just so surprised how hard it was to accept that and to receive that. And there is something in us that finds it hard to receive forgiveness, not only from other people, but even from God. Sometimes we struggle to receive grace and part of the reason for that is because for so many, in so many of our relationships, or at least how we perceive relationships, if somebody does something for us, there's something in the back of our mind that says they're going to want something back from us. If they do something nice for us, the day's going to come when they're going to come to us and say, all right, you remember I did that for you? Now here's what I want you to do for me. And we often view God that way too. Which means the question of, that comes to us, and maybe at the, the question at the heart of this parable, is, is God as good, as generous and forgiving as he says he is? The one thing I love about this, this little story is the image God, Jesus paints of God as the king. He is recklessly, foolishly generous. I mean, what kind of king loans a guy millions of dollars who's a servant. I mean, that makes no sense. Why would you do that? Because he's generous. Why would you forgive all the debt? That makes no sense. Because he's generous. I'm convinced that the heart of this story is the, the image of God who is good and generous in everything, including forgiveness. 
And it's not because we are particularly nice or good. It's because he is. It's about him. And here's the thing. There is an obligation here. God doesn't do this and say, I'm going to do this so that you're, so you have an obligation to me. But he does say, I'm going to do this, and now there's an obligation to that. And we're like, yeah, I knew it. What's the obligation? The obligation is to forgive other people. But here's the thing. What feels like an obligation is actually a privilege. The God who forgives us gives us the resources to now be his agents of forgiveness toward other people. We get the privilege of setting other people free like he set us free. We get the privilege of watching people experience the joy of being forgiven as we've experienced the joy of being forgiven. It is an amazing gift that God gives us, the privilege of being his agents of forgiveness to people who could never imagine that they could ever be forgiven. And I'm convinced that that is, that that's what the point that Jesus is making here. I don't think the point so much of the story and even of the kingdom is we ought to be people who are better at forgiving. I think the point of the story, because it's the point of the kingdom, is that God has offered us amazingly generous reckless forgiveness will we accept it and in accepting it we can then become people who are recklessly generous with other people I'd like for us just to take a moment of silence just ask ourselves a couple of questions is there someone that we know we need to forgive let go of the rope and do we need do we need more acceptance of the forgiveness that God has given us Father, thank you for your generous, unmeasured forgiveness. Help us to be able to receive and accept and believe more and more of what you are offering us. 
that we might be people who can lovingly, joyfully offer it to others. We ask this through Jesus. Amen.